0: We've been in the book of Acts, as many of you know, uh, for quite a while now. So if you'd like to follow along with today's story, we are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 14. Acts is the book that uh, comes after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are our, our gospel accounts, and then Acts follows those four books as a picture of what those first century followers of Jesus, who would eventually be called Christians, what they were up to, what they spent their time doing, what they said, uh, different miracles they performed. And um, it's it's a really, really exciting book that plays itself out, if we were to look at the whole book, really in two halves. The first half, chapters 1 through 13 or so, account for those stories, those miracles, those crazy interactions with folks that just we would least expect to be invited into the kingdom of God. God sends people to go out and find them and remind them that God is mindful of them, bringing them into the fold of what we would eventually call the church, right? Um, We pivot around 13 or chapter 14 and we're following Paul. We're following the Apostle Paul who, who would eventually write as letters to the churches what we call uh, much of the rest of the New Testament. These different letters like First and Second Corinthians and, and others like them, these are letters that the Apostle Paul eventually will write to different churches. And, and Paul becomes the, the central character through the rest of the book of Acts, from where we are now all the way to the end, his missionary journeys, essentially. And so we're here in in chapter 14. I believe Acts is 20... Flipping to the end here. I think it's 28 chapters. Yeah, 28 chapters. So just for some perspective, chapters uh, 14 through 28 are going to account for about 25 or so years. So that's kind of what we're working with. Um, Over those those years, Paul uh, Paul spends X number of years at certain locations, ministering to the churches there, training up elders and different things like that. Uh, So with those things in mind, if, if I could read for us, chapter 14, verses 8 through 20 is where we're going to be drawing from today for our story. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, uh, paralyzed. (laughs) He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. And Paul called out to the man, stand up on your feet, And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd that was around saw what Paul had done, they shouted in a Laocassian language. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Them, meaning Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed into the crowd shouting, Why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. They're saying this to the crowd. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and won the crowd over, and then they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. (laughs) The next day, him and Barnabas left, and I would have too. We'll leave it at that. The gospel, or the good news of God's salvation made possible by the love of Jesus Christ and the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely the best thing that the body of Christ and the church has to talk about. It's the best thing. It's the best thing that we have is what we call the gospel or what we call the good news. And there is much more to say, and there's so much more to read about, and there is so much to stand in awe of. But everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on that moment. Because everything changes when Jesus leaves the tomb. Any other good news that the church has to offer flows from the event of the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. And here is one way we can say the good news is that Christ has risen from the dead and the same Spirit that made it happen lives among us today and is able to make all things new today. Amen. That is the gospel. That is one way to say it is that because of the actual, real event of the resurrection of Jesus. All things are going to be made new, but all things are being made new even right now. And this is good news. The event of the resurrection, news of it happening, once again, in a world that doesn't have news media outlets and television like we have, that news... Is a relatively new piece of information for those who are hearing it in the book of Acts. Once again, we're only a few years removed from the resurrection event when we are finding ourselves in the Acts narrative. We're only a couple years away. Many of us in this room have talked about the gospel as we know it to be for many years knowing a lot of your stories, a lot of us are very used to the things of church. A lot of us have been talking about the gospel for for many years, but in the book of Acts, that same gospel that we know of was a message that was being communicated to crowds for the first time, and in a lot of cases, for the first time to nations. Like, there are places that we can point to where this is the first time that Greeks are hearing the gospel. Like, any Greek, right, <laughs> that, that was alive then. It's the first time that nations, people groups, are hearing the gospel. Now, hopefully, because it is meant to, when we all, when you all, when us all first heard and received the gospel... It fundamentally changed our lives. That's the intent. Our habits, our decisions, our words, our ambitions, every other area of life. Sometimes these changes are instant. And there are plenty of stories, and some of them might be your story, where there was a moment where you were engaged in a, in a particular habit, and you encountered Christ, and you were just done with whatever habit that was, Sometimes there's other parts in our lives that become refined over time. When we continue to journey with Jesus, seeking to become even more like him over time, those changes happen in those moments as well. Nonetheless, the gospel, when it is considered and received, should change things. It should change things. Of course, the same thing was true for those crowds that heard it for the first time throughout the book of Acts. It's the same gospel message supposed to change our lives. That same gospel message is supposed to change the lives of those hearing it in the Scriptures as well. And we read about one of those crowds in our passage today. We just read about them. Up until hearing the gospel that Paul gives... The crowd, as we have read, ascribed to a polytheistic understanding of deities, that meaning multiple gods, more than one god. Polytheism, polytheistic. We learn that because Zeus and Hermes are discussed, right? It's very clear in the Scriptures. And those who ascribed to polytheism... Worshipped multiple gods that independently existed within various areas of life. There was a god of weather. There was a god of farming. There was a god of war, for example. And these gods they existed in these different spheres of life, independent from the other gods. And if it's confusing, it's because it's confusing. Those with a polytheistic understanding of existence who heard the gospel, once again, the good news of a singular one God, realized that in order to receive this news as their own would require a fundamental shift in thinking. They understood it very quickly is that for us to receive this gospel and this message, for us to believe it, we would need to fundamentally change how we approach the earth around us first beginning with how they view deities how they view holy beings and when the crowd tried to rope barnabas and paul into their polytheistic dynamic you see their reaction when they run and shout and tear their clothes In that day and time, those were actions that people took when something catastrophic took place. When a loved one died, when there was a great tragedy in the nation, it was culturally acceptable to express your feelings of anger and mourning and sadness by tearing your clothes and shouting up into the heavens, what is going on? You can just imagine these people on their knees tearing their clothes out of just pure not knowing what to do with themselves because something so dramatic is happening. They engage in those actions at the sniff of being equated as a god. (laughs) You see that? At the first hint of someone turning to Paul and Barnabas and going, you must be God, they react in the most profound way that anyone ever did in that day and time. So it was a big deal. And we read at the end that Paul ended up being stoned just short of death. And so what do we learn? It's that the crowd didn't want to make that fundamental change. Right? It was pretty, pretty obvious. That crowd was not interested in making that change. I think Christians today can act pretty similarly to that angry crowd a bit more often than we'd like to admit. Once again, polytheism positions a different God in every area of life, and folks try to appease that God in the direction of exactly what they, the person, want them, the God, to do in that area of life. That is polytheism, is that there's a bunch of gods, and individuals try to appease them so that those gods do exactly what they want those gods to do for them. If I want it to rain, I'm going to do a certain sacrifice, so it rains. If I want to have victory in this battle, I'm going to do a certain sacrifice, so I have victory in this battle. They spend their whole life engaging with these different gods in different areas of life, trying to get them to do exactly what they want them to do. And although we would be quick to say that there is only one God, I think everyone in this room would be quick to say that, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that same God we read about in the Psalms, I still think that there is often a temptation to make that one God into a being that acts a certain way over here, and acts a certain way over here, and acts even another way over here. Because that would be good news, right? I mean, just on the surface, that would be, that, I mean, that's great news that, that God can be exactly what I want God to be, where I want God to be, when I want God to be there. Of course, that is good news, I guess. God's going to do exactly what I want, where I want it, when I want it. But we need to remind ourselves of something. Is that the good news of God is not good unless it is good for all of creation. We have to remind ourselves of that. Is that there is no such thing as appeasing God to get to do what you want God to do. Guess Guess who that might not be good news for? Is maybe, depending on what you're wanting God to do, the other seven billion people alive right now. It's not good news unless it's good news for all of creation. We are not on the same wavelength with God. For those who want to be on the same page as God, lend me your ear. <laughs> We're not on the same wavelength with God if we cannot think beyond ourselves and our preferences in a given situation. And therefore, we cannot pretend like God is always on our side and would always agree with us in any given moment. We can't approach God like that. Pastor Seth, this is bad news. (laughs) Why would you say this? Well, it's something that would get a few rocks thrown at you. This is exactly why Paul angered a bunch of people. That's the message. So then, what is, I'm asking hypothetically, what is the news that is both good for me, but also the same good for everyone else at the same time. Like, what What on earth is that news? That at the same exact time, it can be good for me, and it can be good for you, and it could be good, excuse me, for everyone else. Verse 15 of what we just read. If you're following along, I would. I would really encourage you to mark it if that's what you'd like. Remember it or whatever else, but This is the good news. It's right there. We have the opportunity to turn from worthless things and turn towards the living God. That's great news. It's really good news. Now, does that fit in with the structure around us? Maybe or maybe not. I don't know. The alternative... Here's the alternative to just turning away from worthless things and turning to God. The alternative is trying to drag God into places and spaces in our lives that matter so much to us, and they might also matter to a lot of other people around you, but that is going to leave us confused, mad at others, and under a pile of grudges. I'm going to repeat that list. We're trying to drag God to wherever we want God to be, where, whatever we want God to be doing there, whenever we want God to be doing it. That's just going to leave us confused and mad and under a pile of grudges. So if you are tired and worn out because you are trying to keep up with the rat race of the world, if you're getting to a breaking point, if every time you turn on and off the television, the radio, open up the newspaper and close it, social media, wherever you're ingesting, consuming, if you're at a point where you're just tired with keeping up, I have good news for you. You can turn away from those things. You can do it. And you can make them far lower in priority And you won't die. (laughs) That's kind of the bar, right? Is like, well, is it gonna kill me? Isn't that kind of the bar? You know? You can turn from worthless things and you're not gonna die. And can I also say that not only are you not gonna die, but you're going to live? You're gonna live a full life. When you are able to think beyond yourself and begin to think about your neighbor, begin to think about those that are being treated unjustly. Whether you agree with the people being treated unjustly or not, we know when an unjust situation is taking place. We know it when it happens. And if we're able to think about those people, and if we are able to think beyond ourselves towards those that have become lost by the systems of our world. We're going to experience a full, full life. Loving God and loving your neighbor isn't restrictive. It's liberating. It is the opposite of restrictive. It is the sweetest freedom that you could ever experience. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. <laughs> we read them earlier. If we're really, really starting to get worn out by keeping up this rat race, If you're really, really wanting to continue to learn even more, because I'm not doubting that a lot of you are thinking beyond yourselves. I'm not saying that no one in this room isn't. Don't, Don't hear that. I'm saying if you want even more of that, but you don't know how to start. Jesus says to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than a clothes rack. Consider the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. They don't have a checking account. God feeds them still. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of us by worrying can add a single hour to our lives? Consider the wildflowers. They don't labor or spin. And yet, Jesus tells us it's not even King Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of those flowers. And if that's how God clothes the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more is he going to clothe us? And don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The world runs after those things. Your father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom, and those things are going to be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, because that God that we're talking about is pleased to give you the kingdom. He is pleased. You are not a burden. You are not a burden. God is pleased to provide for you. So give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that won't wear out because it's filled with treasure in heaven that will never fail, where thieves can't steal it and moths can't destroy it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hope that what you've seen this morning and maybe been reminded of Is how profound God's love is for each and every one of you. And I hope that what we're seeing today, being reminded of today, is how profound God's love is for all of creation. For all of creation. That's good news. That's good news. So church, brothers, sisters, we do not need to worry. And all the more because we're part of a family. All the more because we're part of a, of a church family. We don't have to worry. And when we do, God isn't going to be mad at you. When when we're anxious, God isn't upset. And when we are scared, God doesn't say, well, I told you not to be scared, so I'm out of here. Come find me when you're better. God doesn't say that. What God wants us to know is there are some things that we find ourselves worrying about that He has actually been mindful of this entire time and there are there are there are people that we know that are experiencing some hardships right now we ourselves a lot of us are experiencing some some significant hardships beyond just you have to wear a mask at walmart like i'm talking beyond that i'm some of us are experiencing some very real things right now god is mindful God is very mindful, very mindful of that.